What I remember about the day Superman died is that I bought the issue from my local comic shop. And for some reason, we had to go to the local mall right after that. And so when we got there, I stayed in the car because I, I needed to read this issue immediately. And so my family went inside to do the shopping that we were there for. And I stayed in there and I picked up the polybagged issue. And I just kind of looked at it for a second, wondering if I should even open it because, you know, it's polybagged. I should, I, 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 I thought I should have, I should have bought another one and, and kept that. You know, this was, this is the nineties. So that's what you did. You bought, you bought multiple issues, right? <laughs> but anyway, I, but I, but I didn't do that. Of course, I, I only bought this one issue. And like I said, I hesitated, but I opened it and I pulled the issue out and there was there was this black armband as well that came with it and I put that aside and I pulled the issue out of the poly bag and I looked at the cover and it was unlike anything I've ever seen before it's it's the soup the the, the s-shield uh, and it says below that here lies earth's greatest hero it's it's a tombstone for Superman and then I start reading the issue and I've never seen a comic book produced this way before it's all splash pages and, and you see these two titans fighting each other for their very lives. And you see the reaction of Lois and Jimmy and other people that know Superman, know Clark Kent. Uh, you see the Kents at their home watching this on television. And that's probably the thing that struck me the most is how the death of Superman impacted these characters, impacted his family, his friends. And even though I, I have a, an issue with the way that the story was told, um, with a with a narrator providing most of the um, most of the words for for the issue, and uh, it was still a very impactful issue for me, seeing my favorite superhero fall like that even though you know we all knew he wasn't going to stay dead but still within the story it was it was it was amazing to to see it told in that way i guess anyway that's what i remember You're listening to Just Another Fanboy Presents The Death of Superman, episode number two, Countdown to Doomsday. Hello and welcome to Just Another Fanboy Presents The Death of Superman. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and our introduction this week was submitted by Eric from the Longbox Review Podcast. You can find that at longboxreview.com. Dot com, And you can find Eric over on Twitter under the handle at LongboxReview. Thank you, Eric, for that submission. I, I really quite enjoyed it. If you would like to submit an introduction to be used as a cold opening to a future episode of Just Another Fanboy Presents, record yourself answering the question, where were you when Superman died? And send the file to me at Just Another Fanboy at gmail.com. Just make sure 
in the email that you tell me who you are and where folks can find you online so that I can give you your props in the episode. Just keep in mind as well, uh, I reserve the right to refuse to use any introduction as I see fit, uh, especially if maybe what you are trying to plug, maybe, you know, you're you're wanting me to shout out your podcast and you do a podcast that is just full of hate speech. I'm not going to give you any time on my show. I'm not going to promote that. So uh, that's how that's going to be. For more information, look for the Where Were You When Superman Died episode right here on this feed. All right. So today we're looking at two books from the Death of Superman event that were released this week, 30 years ago. They are Justice League America number 69 and Superman number 74. And we're going to start off with the Justice League issue because that's the one that you should have read first. So Justice League America number 69 published by DC Comics. It has a cover date of December 1992, though it hit stands on October 20th, 1992. It had a cover price of $1.25. The title for the issue is Down for the Count. It was written and penciled by Dan Jurgens. Inks were by Rick Burchett, the letterer was Willie Schubert, and the colorist was Gene D'Angelo. Now, I thought it would be easier moving forward as long as the, the information is out there for me to grab over on the dcfandom.com website. I thought it would be easier if I just read through the synopsis that's out there on that website and then gave you my thoughts on the issue that way. I'm not spending a lot of time or, or, or more time than necessary talking about every little detail that happened in the issue, because that's not what kind of episode that's that's not this. That's not the type of podcast we're trying to do here. All right. So the Justice League International responds to a call from a smashed big rig outside of Busiris, Ohio, and follows the trail of senseless destruction left by the beast responsible. Once the mysterious creature sights Blue Beetle's bug, it throws a tree trunk through it, forcing the JLI to land and engage the beast in battle. It systematically takes the team apart, finishing by punching Booster Gold into the stratosphere. In the meantime, Superman is interviewed on television by Cat Grant, cutting it short as he learns the network is broadcasting an emergency report on the Ohio battle. Booster Gold is caught in midair by Superman and declares it's like Doomsday is here, thus providing the monster with a name. All right. So, yeah, while this was a Justice League book, it really kind of fit perfectly in the Death of Superman storyline. They didn't this wasn't like a, uh, you know, if you read a lot of event books, a lot of time what they're going to do is you'll have the main title that you can read through and get the story from the event. And then you have these tie-in books that aren't required reading, but they they help to add a little bit more to the story, and it makes the, the story feel a bit bigger. This particular issue is, uh, I feel, required reading. It's why they included it in the trade paperback. It's why it's included in all the collections. You, you need to read this if you're going to be reading the death of Superman storyline. And while it is mostly a big punch em up, that's what a lot of these issues are going to be uh, moving forward until we get to the actual moment where Superman dies. I think Dan Jurgens does a very good job 
including a lot of uh, slow, quiet moments within the issue. So it's not literally just people punching each other in the face. Um, and part of that is this television interview that Superman does um, being interviewed by Cat Grant. And it's being broadcast um, all over the world, of course, like like a TV show would. But schools across America are showing this interview. It's It seems to be, they don't come right out and say it, but it feels like be, because of that, that this uh, this interview, because I should probably mention that uh, in the studio is a live audience and they're made up of local high school students. And so the purpose behind this interview is not just let's get a, an interview as Superman. It's more to, I guess, kind of provide um, information to high school students because they they do a question and answer. I mean, Cat Grant has a, an interview period with um, Superman, but the bulk of it is a question and answer with the students in the audience there that are in the studio. And Superman, <laughs> I hate to say this, but Superman really kind of comes across as kind of a boring, you know, goody goody type of guy. And that's, I mean, that's who he is. But there are certain moments throughout the interview where, like, for example, one of the kids asks Superman, yeah, I was kind of wondering about fire. Does she score as high on the Babo meter as it seems? And Superman's response is, fire is good at her job and a terrific person. Next question. And uh, the way the, the, the issue is formatted is each page has a panel at the top, one wide panel that features the interview and the question and answers. It, it features the, the interview with Superman and, and the students. And then the rest of the page is what's happening with the Justice League and Doomsday. And really, Doomsday is just tearing the Justice League apart. And I got to kind of wonder, you know, at the time that I read this, and I'm sure I'll say this a couple of times in this episode, and because I'm, I'm sure it'll it'll come up in my mind as I'm revisiting both of these issues, the, the Justice League America 69 and Superman 74, because both of them are very much, well, I mean, the Justice League is, is such a big part of both of these issues. It's, I, I think about the Justice League team that is in this event and was around at the time compared to who we have in the Justice League now, because after Crisis on Infinite Earths, they, you know, they kind of rebooted everything. And Keith Giffen and Kevin McGuire and uh, the other guy whose name doesn't leap into my brain, you know, they were given the task of rebooting the Justice League. And they were not able to use the the big seven. They were not able to to do your, you know, what most people think of as the Justice League, which would be Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman. Uh, possibly Hawkman, Martian Manhunter. They had a couple of them. They they had Batman in the book when it started. They had Martian Manhunter. They had um, Captain Marvel, or as he's known now, Shazam. But by this point in the series, because they, they kind of had to stack the deck, they kind of had to fill the Justice League ranks with this new book with, with kind of more B-listers like Blue Beetle, and Guy Gardner, you know, they couldn't use Hal Jordan. They used Guy Gardner uh, and they apparently they couldn't use John Stewart either. 
um, and you had Booster Gold, and then Fire and Ice came on. And so by this point, unless you were reading DC Comics at the time, or unless you uh, really know a lot about DC Comics, a lot of these characters you may not even recognize. Uh, Bloodwind is a is a big example. And there's a few moments throughout this Justice League issue where it's hinted at that Bloodwind is a very mysterious character. And Blue Beetle uh, at least once or twice makes a note to himself that he's basically been kind of keeping his eye on Bloodwind, who has kept his past a secret. And when he uses his powers, he he almost kind of masks his powers. So Blue Beetle has never been able to get kind of a handle on exactly what Bloodwind's powers are or how powerful he is. And there's a moment where you find out that Bloodwind is actually somebody. And I'm, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. Uh, he's actually Martian Manhunter um, in disguise for some reason. I don't remember the the storyline behind that. Because I wasn't, I wasn't reading Justice League at the time, and in fact, I had really gotten out of a lot of DC books at the time, and only jumped back in because of the the death of Superman. This is, um, I don't, I didn't really talk about it in the previous episode, but this is really the beginning of my time collecting comic books. I had been reading comic books since the early '80s. But those were all books that my older brother had bought. And I had um, the the only books I had owned were G.I. Joe and Captain America. And that's because my parents uh, agreed to subscribe to those books for me. But once I had graduated high school, once I had a job and was able to, you know, once I was making my own money and was able to go into the comic book store each week, I started up my comic book collection. And this is around the time that that really started happening. Image comics were coming out. And, um, you know, again, I wasn't really into the DC books anymore. I had been reading a lot of the post-crisis stuff in the late 80s and then kind of dropped out uh, and then came back because of Death of Superman. So, for example, as as I was reading this for the first time, I had no idea who Bloodwind was. Now, there's another character on the team called Maxima. I had no idea who she was. She's apparently an alien, and she's super strong. She can fly. She's got some kind of mental powers. Uh, but otherwise, the the team really is made up of a bunch of, for lack of a better term, lightweights. And I got to kind of wonder what kind of event this would have looked like nowadays when you had a Justice League that featured Batman and Green Lantern and The Flash and, you know, all the big guns and uh, Wonder Woman. And because really none of them during this whole first story arc, during this whole first chapter uh, where Doomsday is, you know, making his path of destruction and takes out the Justice League and Superman has to has to take him down by himself. With the exception of these characters, these Justice League characters, none of the other heroes in the DC universe are really available, I guess, to step in and help Superman out, which even at the time I thought was kind of weird because there were still guys like Captain Marvel who were around at the time. I mean, I just have to imagine if Bloodwind or Martian Manhunter wasn't doing whatever this thing is that he's doing, uh, pretending to be Bloodwind. If he was there as Martian Manhunter, if we had all of our Green Lanterns, Guy Gardner, John Stewart, and uh, Hal Jordan, 
And uh, because even at this point, Guy Gardner, he's no longer a Green Lantern. He'd been kicked out of the Green Lantern Corps and he has a yellow ring and he goes by the name Guy Gardner Warrior. And he wears cowboy boots with a, a big G on the side of them. <laughs> but, um, you know, what would this look like if if Wonder Woman had been there, if Captain Marvel had been there, if Captain Adam had been there, you know, if Supergirl and... And while Supergirl is here, uh, a version of Supergirl is in this world. We talked about her in episode zero. Uh, she doesn't make an appearance. She doesn't uh, help Superman out at first. And there's a reason for that. We'll get to that. But I don't know. It's just one of those things that even at the time, I felt like uh, here is really um, a big deal in the DC universe because Superman really has a hard time stopping doomsday and the fact that doomsday walks through the justice league despite the fact of you know the the despite who makes up the justice league doomsday really just kind of walks through them like they were a field of grass and that should have sent alarm bells across the dc universe now granted this is happening within the span of a few hours from the moment doomsday emerges and, uh, well, let's just say from the moment that the Justice League encounters Doomsday to the, to the moment that, that Superman dies, really we're only talking about the span of a few hours, um, which, you know, in superhero world is, uh, a lifetime, uh, especially when you're, you're thinking about characters like the Flash and Wonder Woman who can, who can go very far, very fast, but I'm straying from the the entire story here uh i just i again even at the time i thought this could have even had uh a much bigger impact had we seen doomsday take out really all of the big guns in the dc universe before superman finally took him down but we didn't get that opportunity in this book and that's all right we we still we the the taking down of the Justice League by Doomsday really kind of does what it needs to. It proves or shows to the reader that Doomsday is not somebody to be trifled with, that Doomsday is a very powerful creature. Um, but there are moments, um, and, and since we're just talking about this Justice League book, there are moments that, for example, Doomsday starts fighting Blue Beetle. Now, Blue Beetle is just a regular guy. He does not have any superpowers. He doesn't have augmented strength because of the suit that he wears. He's literally just a regular dude who is, uh, you could say he's a, a, at the peak uh, physical performance for a guy his age or whatever, um, and he's a really good fighter. But we watched Doomsday basically beat Guy Gardner to a pulp and Guy Gardner has the protection of his yellow lantern ring, which works somewhat similarly to the green lantern ring, which is going to protect him. It's, it's, it's as, uh, there, there's a moment here because of course, Guy Gardner being who he is, he's the first one to, to take the fight to doomsday. He flies ahead of everybody thinking that he's just going to take this dude out all by himself because that's who Guy Gardner is. And Doomsday just beats the crap out of him. I mean, beats him to the point that Guy Gardner's face is so puffy and swollen that there's a moment that he can't he can't see his his eyes are swollen shut. He cannot see. And this is while he has this protection 
of this ring providing a force field around him, which is very powerful, a very powerful force field. So if Doomsday is able to do that to him, and then we get these panels where Doomsday picks up Blue Beetle by his throat, slams his face into a, I don't know, an oil, uh, they're, they're at an oil refinery. So there's these big um, oil tanks. And he slams his face into an oil tank, slams his head into a, into the ground, into a pipe on the ground, slams his head again into the oil tank. I mean, the Blue Beetle at that point, the, the first hit should have killed him, really. As powerful as Doomsday is, the first time he smashed his face into that oil tanker, that should have killed the Blue Beetle. Uh, but Doomsday is still able to really, again, smash his face, smash his head into a number of objects. And while it does take Blue Beetle out of commission, I mean, he's, he slips into a coma, I'm assuming. I, I, I don't remember. They don't really talk about it in the issue. We just know that he's unconscious and he's not moving. And Ice thinks that he might be dead or at least he's dying. But the fact that that didn't kill Blue Beetle, I feel like I'm 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 angry. It's like I'm coming across as angry. That should have killed him. I mean, I love Blue Beetle. Ted Cord Blue Beetle is one of my favorites, and I'm glad he didn't die. I mean, he, they just kept him around to, to kill him later. But still, not in this event. But I felt that that was just kind of a weird thing for them to do. Uh, they do the same with Booster Gold a little bit later because his... You know, Booster Gold as well. He's just a regular dude, but he's got this suit that uh, enhances his speed and his strength. And he, he's basically wearing uh, Iron Man armor that just that just happens to be spandex because it's from the future. And he he runs out of power. And so he ends up being just a regular dude. And Doomsday does the same thing to him, beats the crap out of him, uh, but doesn't kill him. And the only argument you could make there is that for some reason... Doomsday is holding back when he fights those guys. And I, I don't know why Doomsday would do that. But it's during this fight that Superman is, is being interviewed. And they, at one point, have to cut the interview short because they have to go to the, you know, the special on-the-spot report to talk about this attack that's happening in Ohio. And Superman catches a bit of the news report and then decides he needs to go help the Justice League. And by the time Superman arrives, Booster Gold has learned that Ted Cord is practically dead. Uh, if you're not aware, Booster and Blue Beetle are just the best of friends. They they have been since um, practically af just not long after this Justice League book began, and um, they've remained friends uh, to this day. They they have their own book called uh, Blue and Gold that's that's currently being written by Dan Jurgens and uh, Booster, seeing the state that his best friend is in attacks Doomsday in a rage. And again, he gets his butt handed to him as well. And Doomsday hits him so hard that, yeah, he goes flying into the stratosphere where he is caught by Superman, who basically is like, tell me what's going on. And Booster tells him that it's like Doomsday has arrived or it's, it's like Doomsday is here. And that's how that issue ends. And I should also mention that this entire time, this entire fight, Throughout the entire issue that Doomsday is just, again, wading through the Justice League as if he is walking through a field of grass, he still has one hand tied behind his back. He's doing all this with one hand. He is, in essence, being held back by that one 
disability, the fact that he's only able to use one hand. This was a, a really good issue. Um, you know, we only got a bit of Doomsday in Man of Steel, issue number 18, which started this whole affair. And so jumping into this Justice League title, it just, it really is firing on all cylinders at this point. There's no mistake. There's no doubt at this point that Doomsday is a force to be reckoned with. And as a reader, when Superman finally arrives, you get this sense of relief almost that um, finally someone's here that can stop this creature because the Justice League, if if they at this point, if the Justice League had to continue by themselves, they would be dead, plain and simple. The art uh, is Dan Jurgens. I am really, you know, Dan Jurgens is one of these artists that he has. You you can almost see uh, certain influences from other artists in his work. There are, there are moments where you can see John Byrne coming through. Uh, there are moments when you can see guys like Kirby. And, um, you know, a lot of the old classic artists coming through, he's, he's, he definitely, um, is a, well, he's definitely influenced by the, by the old school. And I believe he's a, he's, he's a bit of a workhorse because he is drawing both Justice League and the Superman book in the same month. Now, when we get into the Superman book, we do find that, uh, he, while he's listed as, as pencils, I think someone else is listed as as finishes. So he's not doing full pencils, I believe, in the Superman book, or at least the the issue we're going to talk about next. But still, he's he's putting in a lot of pages each month, and it doesn't seem to affect the quality of his art too much. There are panels that just look gorgeous, and some that look all right. You know, it's Dan Jurgens is just one of these guys that when I read his stuff, I will come across certain pages and certain panels where I will just sit there and go, dang, that looks freaking great. I think I'm a Dan Jurgens fan. I think uh, I'm going to stick him up there in the upper echelon of my favorite artists. And then two or three panels later, I'll be like, ah, never mind. I mean, it's all right. He's all right. But he's, you know, it's, he's just, uh, I think it's very obvious that if Dan Jurgens was just kind of given the time to sit down and, dedicate however much time he needed to do a book that it would look just gorgeous from front to back. But I feel like he's probably of that school of thought as an artist where, um, you know, as a comic book artist, you have to kind of, and I'm speaking as if I'm an expert, as if I know, as if I'm part of that world, but based on interviews and stuff I've read, it's like you, you have to, you have to know when, to walk away. I think uh, for many artists, if given the time, they will really just keep going back to certain panels and certain pages and uh, keep adding this or that to, to make it look even better. But uh, a, a professional artist who knows that they are on a timetable and a schedule, they, they just kind of know this is what I need to do for this page. And it's time to move on to the next page. But Justice League America 69, the second issue into the death of Superman event and very much establishing the threat level of Doomsday. And I can't really stress this enough. I mean, when you get to that last page and you see that Superman has arrived, 
as a reader, you do get, you just feel this sense of relief. Like everything's going to be okay now. Even though you know, you know, they were not making it a secret that this was going to lead to Superman dying. That that was the whole point of this story. Everybody knew it was going to happen. But you still, you see that Superman's there, that the Justice League, is, you know, are are probably about to die and Superman arrives and you you feel you feel relieved. All right, so let's move on to the the second issue that landed this week 30 years ago. Superman issue 74. Um I'm I'll say this one last time published by DC Comics. Uh I don't think I need to say that throughout the rest of this series. Uh it's got a cover date of December of 92 and an on-sale date of October 20th, 92, just like uh Justice League America 69, cover price of $1.25 and the title of this issue is Countdown to Doomsday, writer and penciler Dan Jurgens. Inker Brett Breeding or in the in the issue they actually list him as the as finishes, which when I see that when they list an inker as doing the finishes, then I feel like what they're saying is is that the penciler who in this case Dan Jurgens didn't do full pencils. Kind of laid everything out and then Brett Breeding came in and, and finished it all up. Uh, letters on this book was John Costanza and the colorist Glenn Wetmore. And again, I'm just going to read you the summary from DCFandom.com. Justice League members Ice and Maxima look at the fallen Blue Beetle with Ice saying that Blue Beetle needs medical treatment and Maxima saying their top priority is to stop the creature. Ice offers to go after the monster herself which Maxima refuses to let her do until she remembers Ice aiding her in her struggles against Starbreaker. And so she takes Blue Beetle to receive his medical care while Ice goes after the monster. At the same time, high school student Mitch comes home to find that there's no soda in the refrigerator and that his mother was too busy taking care of his baby sister to even have time to get any groceries. Mitch becomes so upset blaming his mother for being the reason his father left her, that he prepares to go over to his friend's house when Justice League member Ice crashes right into their kitchen. Mitch goes outside and finds the green-suited monster the Justice League was contending with earlier, now trashing their car. Superman and Booster Gold also show up, and while Superman is able to take a powerful fist blow to the midsection by the monster now called Doomsday, a sudden, unexpected kick in the gut propels him through the house, causing it to collapse. Doomsday now trudges his way into the house and is ready to kill Mitch's mother and her baby daughter, but Superman stops him, telling the mother to get out of the house. Soon other Justice League members, Bloodwind, Fire, and Guy Gardner with a puffed-up face join the action, and the five heroes strike Doomsday with energy blasts until all but Superman and Bloodwind run out of power. However, the energy blasts do nothing but cause Doomsday's bands around his other arm to break, thus enabling him to cause damage with both fists. The monster grabs Booster Gold, shreds up his costume, and pummels him so severely that he throws him against a weakened Guy Gardner. Superman and Bloodwind try to take on Doomsday simultaneously, but the monster grabs Bloodwind just as he is about to use his I-beams, causing them to strike near the gas lines and also causing a fiery eruption that consumes the house in flames. With his mother and baby sister trapped inside and the Justice League members fallen, 
Mitch cries out for Superman to help, but Superman is chasing after Doomsday and he must decide what to do. Either go after the monster and risk the lives of Mitch's family and his own allies, or let the monster go and rescue them and risk the lives of many more people. All right, so with Superman number 74, the the story then escalates up to the next notch. I mean, we've, we now have Superman in here in the battle, and we have a great moment where the first physical contact between Doomsday and Superman is Doomsday punching Superman in the, the chest, the, the stomach area, his midsection. And up to this point, every single thing that we have seen Doomsday punch, be it a tree, a car, a semi-truck, Booster Gold, Guy Gardner, Bloodwind, everything that he punches is either destroyed or is knocked through walls. You know, his his punches are very powerful. It's very obvious that that he is super powerful, I guess what I'm trying to say. And uh, but when he punches Superman, his first punch to Superman and Superman just stands there and takes it. And it's it was a pretty awesome panel. It's it's that moment as a reader that you almost want to cheer out loud because the issue opens. I mean, the 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 first page of this issue is a splash page showing Blue Beetle bent over backwards, uh, very unnaturally. He's unconscious. He's 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 bent over backwards. A bunch of rubble. His his costume is in shreds. He's bleeding. He's bruised. And he he, he frankly he looks dead. Ice, of course, points out that that he's he's not dead. He's dying, but he needs medical care immediately. And Maxima is really the only one that can get him to a hospital fast enough. And really, they they kind of pull the camera out in the next page, and you see that Guy Gardner, Bloodwind, Fire, they're all laying there unconscious. It's just Ice and Maxima. And if Beetle is to survive, Maxima needs to be the one to take him to a hospital. But she is, she whatever planet she's from, she's a warrior, she's a, she's a soldier, and you know, she's basically like a, a, a friggin' Klingon, you know, that's that we don't walk away from battle and I'm not going to I'm not going to run. But, you know, Ice convinces her that that she needs to be the one to take Blue Beetle into the hospital and, and Ice will do what she can to uh, slow Doomsday down. Now, most of this issue, as the summary said, takes place in and around this house in this. Uh, I, I guess we're still in Ohio, suburban Ohio. And we got this teenager by the name of Mitch who uh, nobody likes. <laughs> he is he is a real freaking jerk. And I don't know if Dan Jurgens just doesn't really understand what teen angst really is or if he's really trying hard to go over the top with this Mitch guy because he's got long hair and he's wearing a baseball cap backwards and he's got a T-shirt on that says death metal and he's got a skateboard. He's chewing bubble gum. And yeah, he's a he's a real jerk to his mom because he didn't have any soda in the house. Dad has soda for him all the time at his apartment. And, you know, his mom is just trying to she's a single mom. And I I get that as a teenager, Mitch may not understand that. But man, this dude is just 100 percent jerk. And I know having read this series already a couple of times over the last 30 years that Mitch uh, this is not the only issue that he's in. He does have somewhat of a, of an arc 
where he comes around and he ends up being the good son and helping out his family. But man, at this point, he is just an A freaking hole. Uh, the scene where ice comes crashing through the window, the, the summary, whoever wrote that summary doesn't do it justice because it doesn't point out that she's not crashing through the window of her own volition. She looks like she's unconscious. She has been punched or thrown through the window of this house and doomsday is outside ready to come in and start tearing everybody up. And that's when Superman finally arrives. And yeah, he takes that punch from Doomsday, and you're like, yes, here we go. It's time to throw down. And Mitch, who obviously does not like Superman, it's made very clear that his favorite hero is Guy Gardner, which tells you all you need to know about Mitch. And uh, when he sees Superman take that punch, his response is, big deal. The spud was too slow and stupid to duck. And so, yeah, nobody likes you, Mitch. Shut up. But it's not, it's it's really just within two panels later that um, Doomsday kicks Superman in the stomach and that takes him down. I mean, it, it, it launches Superman literally through Mitch's house and destroys the house. And then we get, yeah, basically we get this battle uh, that's, that's not only trying to stop Doomsday, but trying to save this family because this, this mother and her, her teenage son and their, their, her baby daughter are right there in the middle of it. And so Superman at this point, he is, he can't just let loose. He's got innocent people around that he has to think of as he's trying to stop Doomsday. Um, Bloodwind and Guy Gardner and Fire and Booster arrive. And that's when they have this moment where all of them who, uh, each one of them can do some type of energy blast. Superman has his heat vision. Uh, Bloodwind has some type of eye beams. Guy Gardner, of course, has his yellow power ring. Fire shoots fire. And then Booster Gold has energy blasts that come from his suit. And again, Guy Gardner, his face is so puffy. His eyes are swollen shut that when they all decide we are going to let loose with our energy blasts, you know, whatever form of, of energy we can launch, we'll all, all five of us at the same time, we're going to fire at Doomsday and just take him out. Guy Gardner basically pipes up that he can't see and he wants somebody to point his ring toward Doomsday and Bloodwind does that for him. And, and yeah, they just pour it on and continue to do so until fire is spent and she passes out. Um, Booster Gold's power batteries in his suit, they drain. And Guy Gardner, while he doesn't run out of energy, it's at that point that he suggests, all right, we've we've probably we've probably stopped him. Let's 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 shut it down and, and, and see what we're looking at. And that's when we see that not only is Doomsday still standing, now both of his arms are free. We can see half of his face now. And uh he's just a wicked looking dude. I mean, he's got these these bony protrusions that come out of his his knuckles that are like claws. He's got them coming out of his elbows. Uh, he's got them coming out of his face and like out of his upper lip, like he's got these, these fangs that come out of his upper lip. And though he's got regular teeth, he's got these, the, the, this it's, it's like, he's got a, a exoskeleton and, uh, and a, a skeleton inside. And he's got, um, bones that, uh, almost that, that kind of go over his eyes that protect his eyes. It's like, it's, he, he's a very wicked looking dude. And, 
yeah, it's it's very disheartening when you get to this point because not only do all of our heroes let loose with every single ounce of power they have, not only does it not stop Doomsday, in essence, it makes him more powerful because now he has both arms and both fists and he really starts laying into the heroes at this point. And the panel where the smoke clears and we see, it's like we see Doomsday's face and then him right next to his face, you know, superimposed there. It's just, it's a, it's a great panel. This is that, this is one of these panels where I talked about how there are moments within books that Dan Jurgens does where it's just like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. Now, again, Brett Breeding is doing the finishes. So I'm going to, I'm going to put a lot of that, a lot of the, the beauty in this panel on Brett Breeding, uh, where, um, the, the layouts ultimately, the the general outline the figures were put there by Dan Jurgens but the 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 again the the gorgeous beauty of it is is all Brett breeding that's I'm gonna I'm gonna put it up to him and so yeah at this point um this is when Doomsday beats Booster Gold into unconsciousness Mitch's mother and Mitch and their daughter are able to get out of the house uh but Mitch's mom grabs up Ice, who is still unconscious and was in the house, and she she drags her out of the way. Bloodwind fires his eye beams at Doomsday, just as Doomsday punches him in the face. So the, the eye beams go wild and, and hit a gas main, and there's an explosion, and the house is destroyed. And that's when Doomsday, at this point, he's just like, all right, I'm done. I, I You know, his, the, his whole uh, motivation, really, at this point, is just to keep moving forward. We don't know where he's going or why, but he's moving forward and anything that stands in his way uh, gets destroyed. And so at this point, it's like Doomsday is has discounted the rest of the heroes. They're, as far as he's concerned, they're down for the count. So he, he leaps off into the distance. Superman goes flying after him. We learn that Mitch's mother is now in the house surrounded by fire. She is unconscious. Uh, the, the baby is there with her. Mitch is trying to to get through the flames to get to her. He realizes that all of the other heroes are all passed out. They're all down. There's nobody there that can help them. Uh, So he starts shouting for Superman to come back and help. And that's when Superman is left with his decision. He's he's flying through the air. He's just about able to reach out and grab Doomsday's foot. And he has to decide, does he go back and save Mitch and his mom and the baby? Or does he try to stop Doomsday there and now? And, you know, come on. You know that he has no choice. You know how what he's going to choose. He's going to go back and he's going to help Mitch and his mom and the baby. That's that. This is like one of those dumb cliffhangers where it's that's the last page. And you're like, oh, my gosh, what's Superman going to do? You know what Superman's going to do there. If if we had gone on to the next issue, which we're not in this episode, we're going to do that next week, which is The Adventures of Superman 497. But if if we had opened up that issue and found out that Superman left Mitch and his mom and the baby and the rest of the heroes there to die, uh, I don't think I would have continued on with this story because that's not who Superman is. We all know he's going back. But yeah, this was a great week in the event that is the death of Superman. Two issues, and since they were both written by Dan Jurgens, uh, they really flowed together. They were basically like a, a part one and part two, and and I do uh, remember 
You know, the, the feeling I remember from when last I read through this event, because we have, you know, the creative teams on all four of these Superman books who meet once a year at the Superman Summit and map out what they're going to do, you know, the big storyline. And you have the the one editor, Mike Carlin, who oversees everything. You do really get the the sense that this is one story and not four different stories that happen to tie together, which sometimes happens when you have, uh, you know, a, a particular uh, a crossover event happening in in titles like this. You know, I, I recently read Fear Itself, well, not Fear Itself, Fear State uh, at DC that ran through the Bat books. And I only read the the issues that were in Batman and Detective Comics and then Nightwing. and. The whole Fear State storyline, while it was supposed to be a crossover, it, it was all basically being headed up by James uh, Tiny and the, the Fourth, who was writing Batman at the time, but he wasn't writing Detective. And while both Batman and Detective had the Fear State banner on them, they were not part of the same story. And it really, it really felt weird. Matter of fact, now I'm second guessing myself. Did they both have? the Fear State banner. I'm, I'm, I feel like they did, but it's you, you had one particular storyline going on in Detective Comics and then one storyline, the main uh, Fear State storyline going on in Batman. And so it felt like Batman was over here doing one thing in the one issue and then he'd run across town and do this other thing and then run back across town. And, you know, it just, it, it felt disjointed. And you're not getting that sense so far. Granted, we're only three issues into the storyline, but I don't remember feeling that at all uh, reading through these. I think I've read through this twice now. This might be my third time through the death of Superman. But next week, like most of the weeks, we had just one issue come out, uh, Adventures of Superman, number 497. Now, I will say, looking through the schedule of what we have coming up, I think I talked about this in the previous episode, but I, I kind of want to just kind of keep reminding you that when we get to the week of Thursday, December the 8th, there were no issues released that week 30 years ago for this event. And so currently, as the schedule stands, I don't have an episode scheduled for that week. However, if I get feedback about any of these episodes, because we will have the the zero episode and then nine episodes out before we get to that first week off. If I receive any feedback between uh, then and now, and I have time to put together a feedback episode, that's what we'll do the week of December 8th on that Thursday. And if you want to provide me with feedback, you have the email address, just another fanboy at gmail.com. You have the Just Another Fanboy voice line, 785-318-6673. You can use that to text in your feedback, or you can call and leave a voicemail. You can join us over at the forum. That's forum.justanotherfanboy.com and find uh, scroll down to the uh, Just Another Fanboy Presents message board and leave your feedback there. Or you can just uh, follow me up over on Twitter, at Stephen or else. I, I always post about these episodes over on the Twitter. So many numerous and wonderful ways for you to leave feedback and uh, 
You're not required to. I'm not begging. I wouldn't mind having a week off, but at the same time, I wouldn't mind putting out a feedback episode. So uh, I'll just leave it up to y'all. But next week, again, Adventures of Superman 497. So until then, folks, I'm going to say goodbye now. Goodbye now. Hello and welcome to blah for your fart in their further further fart face.